Hello, you're listening to the Consequential Podcast. I'm Dave Convery, and with me... You know that you drop like two octaves when you start doing the intro. Yes. It's growly. I like it. I know, because... It gives me a little shiver, actually. It reminds people of Batman. And as we are ostensibly a comics podcast, it's good to remind people of Batman. I can't really argue with that. You do a little mouth twitch in the five minute silence before like, you're just waiting to get the gravel on. The reason, the reason that I drop my voice an octave is it's much less likely for me to cough than if I'm talking at my normal uh, my normal timbre. Does that mean that when you see a doctor in a particular context you also do a falsetto? I haven't seen a doctor in that context. In any I context? Really se- I haven't really seen a doctor. Uh, <laughs> Maybe you should. What sort though? Where to begin? <laughs> Right, um, enough of this. Doctor Whiskey, bum. perhaps. Do you know? Do you know what? I've been complaining this week about podcasts that start with a, a bunch of twaddle. Which, let's be honest, this is. Um, when do we get past the twaddle? Anyway, you're Roger. This one's Lucy. Yeah. Say hello. Hi. Hi. Roger, what are you drinking? Oh, I'm drinking the podcast wine. I was going to introduce the podcast wine. You know, you, you get like twenty percent posher as soon as you start talking. Right? <laughs> yes. So this How's week's sommelier, Roger. <laughs> This week's podcast wine is a New Zealand Pinot, and it's surprisingly gentle. It's very pale. It's almost like a tawny port, and it's just bursting with blackberries. If there's one thing I like, it's things that are surprisingly gentle. Mm. Uh, and and what are you drinking? Water. Water. How is that? It's pretty good. I mean, we're, we're slightly outside of Cambridge. How does the, the chalkiness compare to... It's it's smoother. It's uh it's not quite got the same chemical astringency of the central Cambridge drinking water. Slightly, slightly more refined out here. Well, yeah, it's histone. I mean, a lot less pee. Yeah. Um, yeah. Less piss and cocaine. Good, good. Lucy, what have you been reading? I've been reading quite a lot of things for once. Um, I caught up on as many issues of Reich as we've been able to get in the UK. We've been hoarding to... them from Gosh. Yeah, basically, I picked up the stops. first three issues months and months ago and I went to Gosh and thought about buying them and actually it would have cost more to ship them to the UK from their store than it would have actually to buy the rest of the comics so I was like eh, I'll just wait for Gosh to get them in and then you fortuitously saw them in Gosh I read um, issues four to nine and it continues to be the delightful tale of a German analyst who kind of ends up fucking crazy in believing that people sit in people who sit in boxes can be influenced by a particular kind of basically sexual radiation which cures cancer. Can they? No. No. No, um, no, the, the Sorry, F- <laughs> spoiler warning. The the FDA are currently investigating this in the comic at the point that, that I got to. That um, sounds mad. It's it's biographical. This this all mm. happened. It's by Elijah Brubaker who also does the wonderful Jezebel, mm. which is the very um kind yes, of bro style biblical stories done in just wonderful, wonderful vernacular. Yeah. Yeah, um, which I recommend fantastic. you go and read. They're very, it's very sort of dippable into, as a series. Um, I mean, the kind of Reich shows just his sort of quality of research and ability to take on a fairly hefty and obscure biographical subject. You know, is is great. But also, he brings you know he brings the lols to the Bible as well. Yeah, I I read the first chapter of that, and it was absolutely amazing. I do need to go back and read more. Mm. But yeah, it's just one of those things where it takes two things. Doesn't mean an incredibly uh, in a style that basically should not work. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, yeah, the Bible is probably speaking, and it's just excellent. It's got the same kind of command and quality of tone, I'd say, as Aikwood. Less kind of insular in its vernacular, but very much... It's making up far less of it as well. Making up far less of it, but it's got the same sort of attention to detail and, and 
really strong voicing that I appreciate as somebody whose brain has been ruined by roast beef. I'm glad we, we mentioned that because there's something that I want to talk about and that's the only way I can describe it, but I'll get to that later. Okay. Yeah. So mm. I also read Blue is the Warmest Colour, which was a, a loan from Roger. What right. did you think? Um, I basically agree with everything you said on the last podcast about the pacing being kind of off. You know, the, she yeah. dies at the end because of drugs, and that was never really explained. It's like, mm. where, where did this come from? Well, drugs are bad. Yeah, drugs well, are bad. Right, and they, they kill you. Yeah. If you um, smoke just a small amount of the marijuana, yeah. you will die. Yeah. You will die. So we should avoid the reefer. Yes. I had yes. a... Specifically the reefer madness. I shall avoid that. Tea okay. sticks. I had a gentle puff on a bifter the other day, and I'm just dead already. A bifter. <laughs> yes. I haven't heard anyone... The I last do... person <clears throat> I heard call it a bifter was the guy that runs Milton Brewery. Oh, fuck. Uh, that guy. You're an incre I... incredibly conservative drug user. I am as out of touch as that guy, aren't I? Yeah. Ima oh, well. Imagine him, if you will, kind of enormous beard, ginger, faintly charming, shouting Spliff the phrase... hanging out of just, just shouting the phrase, roll an eight-foot bifter! Jesus Christ. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is I smoke a lot of drugs and I'm already dead like six times over, so right. don't do it because okay. you're it's an a angry miserable drugs and comics ghost. Yeah, I am. Okay. It's pretty good really. Okay. So that, that So what else about the sorry. So so yeah, so I um thought the art style was lovely. The French handwriting didn't quite do it for me, but I've always found French handwriting kind of impenetrable. So I mean I've I very much agree with Roger's crusade against um illegible typesetting in comics. Learn fucking lettering! Yes. Do, do, or stop using shit fonts. Do good clean lettering, use good clean fonts, make it as easy on the eye as you can, because else, I mean, it's such a... There are people who will make fonts out of your handwriting and do it incredibly well. Oh yeah, so I but have, have fucking good handwriting to start with is the thing. Right. It's, it's well, lettering, hand lettering basically, is don't drop out of school, kids. And don't drop out of school and letter comics. Don't, hmm. for instance, do very well at school and go to the best university in the world, because you'll get fucking terrible handwriting. <laughs> Um, well, that's because they're training you to be a doctor or a scientist yeah, or something fancy like that. And look mm. at me, I'm doing an admin job. <laughs> um, no, so, yes, I, I sort of agree with Roger's crusade against illegible lettering because the the kind of the, the fact that the medium moves so quickly when you're reading it means that any kind of drop in speed through not being able to read, you really, really feel the lag. And also, if you're going to disrupt the fluency, it needs to be salient. Yeah. So I'll talk about mind management later. Um, I talked about this earlier uh, in the first time I mentioned the first volume, reading the second volume. But mind management does a lot of stuff to jolt you out of cognitive fluency. Mm -hmm. And it's very much the point, even if it doesn't necessarily do it that well. Whereas poor lettering or hard to decipher, yeah. or just shoddy visuals or whatever can really, really do that counterproductively. Um, agreed. Back to back to Blue is the Warmest Colour. I found the um, the kind of coming of age in a way that's estranged from your family in a French setting vaguely reminiscent of Persepolis. Mm. I liked the love story element. I thought it was done well. But it also received massive build-up and had a massive emotional impact and the ending just didn't deliver on that, which was kind of a shame. But yeah, overall, a good read. I'd recommend it, especially if you like mm. sad gay stuff. Also, everyone involved in it, kind of, in the final analysis, is a little bit of a dick. Oh, yeah, but... I mean, that's true of life. That's so, okay. Well, exactly. Yeah. So are humans. <laughs> um, I read Issues 1 and 2 of Sex Criminals, Ooh, yes. which was excellent. Yeah, you enjoyed that? Yep, I liked one so much that I actually just bought two on my tablet straight away and was irritated when I couldn't read three because it wasn't out yet. No, so it's, it's not. That's, that's how good it was. When, it, when is the next issue out? I don't know. Matt Fraction was talking about the getting the previews today, so yeah. soon. Hopefully. Well, get on Good. that, Fraction. 
Yes. Is that fractional? Well, he can't. He's in. He's in England. He's that stuff. Werewolf. Fannying around. That was uh, my favourite Halloween. That was the, name. the best Halloween name. I love that he's kept it. Yeah. <laughs> well, what was also great was that he had a massive rise in visibility because um, his uh, he he had a Tumblr post about avoiding suicide, mm-hmm. um, which got shared and shared everywhere. Mm. It was just absolutely everywhere for days. Mm-hmm. And the entire time that this was being shared, he was butt stuff werewolf. Yeah. Was he butt uh, stuff werewolf or was he ogre into butt stuff? First of all, ogre into butt stuff, then butt stuff werewolf. There's something that, I mean, so he's been getting a lot more retweets generally because of the kind of increased mm. visibility, but there's something that makes the fact... The fact that he's called Butt Stuff Werewolf treating, tweeting this stuff makes it a lot more weird Twitter than it mm. was when it was Matt Fraction tweeting this stuff, and I like that. He's always been on that borderline. I like weird Twitter. What he yeah. talks about, like, is it, unless I'm getting him mixed up with someone else, he it's a blend of weird stuff, comic stuff, and just charmingly inane blather about being a dad. Yeah. Occasionally. He, Kicking was, ass at child rearing. Yeah, mm. there was a, there was a, Christ, did you see um, the party that, that he did for his kids? Oh, yeah. They got a shit ton of cardboard boxes. They painted them as a silly, up as, as a city, filled them with sweets and toys and crap. Put them in the back garden, and then all of the kids got monster costumes and trashed oh, the fucking city. That's like tiny best Godzilla pinata. party. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, can, can I want? I want him to adopt that? me. I mean, I'm probably only about ten years younger than he is, but <laughs> I would like him to adopt me. Um, it would be so like uh, Tracy Jordan's son uh, in Thirty Rock. I'm, I'm going to try and see him at. at well, I'm less of a dick than Tracy Jordan's son. True, but you do have a lot of business ideas. I do have a lot of business ideas. <laughs> and I'm going to say them to him at Thought Bubble this weekend while I'm sitting on his lap. Can you please yep. not lick Matt Fraction at Thought Bubble? I'm going to treat him like a mall Santa. I'm going to be right on his lap. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be scared at first. Except please don't enjoying. try and write Matt Fraction. He'll give you he'll give you a plastic toy and a keyring with a picture of you and him on it at the end of it. He's bought oh, into the whole mall Santa thing. Let's hope so. He's got elves and a grotto. He's, he's got a beard. Yeah. So have you? Yeah. I'm not sure I want to be seen with you at this event. It'll be it'll be fine. I, I will be a respectable gentleman as I always am. Are you going to tell him about your beef swords? Yeah, yeah. We'll invite him out. Cool. Just for anyone who who wasn't. Uh, part of the conversation we were having earlier we're going to one of those Brazilian restaurants where they put meat on very long skewers it wasn't a crude euphemism for genitalia I mean it could be and we will be spending a lot of time trying to make sure that you don't get your wang out so it is a concern it is a concern I am very fond of Matt Fraction but if I do we'll just say that it's a reference to Casanova yeah yeah Yeah. there's a lot of a lot of a lot of dude nudes in in that comic a lot of dude nudes do they get lewd with the food yeah, uh, they've got they've got chewed. Good. Oh, for fuck's sake. Good. Also, they take a lot of loots. <laughs> Who doesn't? Y'all can get out now. Just fuck off. But anyway, you like sex criminals. <laughs> I did like That's sex good. criminals, and um, as the as the sort of resident angry drugs comics ghost, I say do loots, kids. It's fun. Right. Um. So so the final thing that I read was a comic which was actually kickstarted. Um. Which ties on topic. In nicely on topic. with the theme. They don't, of they don't know about the topic yet. But it is, it's got a graphic at the top of the post. Well, in the future. In yeah. the future, yes. It will do, ultimately. Okay. We're so professional. We are. We I just we have we have trouble with with space and time. You know, we like to consider these. Ma- I've been watching a lot of TNG. <laughs> I'll be honest. Right. A couple of good Q episodes. You so know basically, how it is. he's the Q continuum. Oh yes. yeah. Right. Yeah. He's that weird grid, and I'm the Enterprise somehow. Vroom. I, d- I haven't really watched any TNG, but I've spent enough time on Wikipedia that apparently I know what the Q continuum is. Yeah. Anyway, sex criminals. No, we d- we're done with sex we're criminals. We're done. 
Okay. So, no, no more sex, no more criminals. What, no, what I want to no, come sorry, on to is sorry, um, sorry, sorry, Kickstarter. The Kickstarter comic I read, which was lent me by a work colleague, called uh, Anything That Loves, which was about broadly, it's an anthology of comics about non-binary experiences of sexual attraction. Okay. So it's mostly there. There were a lot of comics. So it was a very varying quality. There were some really excellent things. They had a couple of big names, and there was an Eric anthology. Moen. Yeah. Oh, there's a. There was an Erica Moen There's something strip. else a bit like this looking for solicits for submissions at the moment as well. Interesting. Uh, that'll be Smart Peddler? Maybe. I'll look it up. Oh, no, no, no. There's another one, yeah. Um, there's an anthology, but it's more explicitly queer comics. Yes. Um, Sorry, yes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll, 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 we'll look we'll, that up. We'll put a link in the thing. So if you've if you've kind of ever interacted with the sort of the queer comics space on the internet, you've probably seen Erica Moen's definition of queer comic, mm. and that's in the anthology. And, you know, there are a few other very, very good things. There's quite a lot of... I like girls and I like guys. Ah, comics, which, you know, sort of made up the bulk of the thing, which mm. you're always going to get in a sort of earnest and well-meaning anthology. But mm. there's also some really quite interesting stuff. There was one particular story, which I think was meant to be biographical about, or autobiographical, about two um, rubber and latex fetishists who are married now, but never have intercourse with each other because their sort of view of sexuality is very much self-contained and entirely dependent on the rubber thing. Mm. So they do their rubber stuff to themselves in the same room, and that's, you know, the sex aspect of their marriage. Mm. And that kind of... I, I sort of wished there was more of that kind of stuff you're not really not going to culturally encounter anywhere else yeah. and less of the oh, I like dudes and the ladies what do I do and it's like well you stick something in both of them it's yeah. gonna it's gonna be harder to get like really niche sexuality and creates comics of course in the in the same place I think so you whereas I, I imagine it makes comics that are worth printing mm. rather mm. than I'm a dragon with a pouch and on DeviantArt yeah oh DeviantArt oh I really wish there were fewer deviants on DeviantArt. I don't know, it's pretty good for porn. I just wish if you like more the stuff talent. I like. <laughs> Dragons with pouches. Yeah. Uh, not... Oh, there was a brilliant thing on Ojoy Sex Toy. So one of the things I've, re- I've been catching up on Ojoy Sex Toy and catching up on much work comics. Um, and I saw the one with the um, faux dragon cock sleeve. Yeah. Yes. That was amazing. Yeah. I almost wanted to try one, but I think it would be weird. You Sex could... dragon. Yeah. I don't. Um, I don't think the boy would be up for it. Roger, what have you been reading? So I've caught on a lot of web comics. I've been reading, rereading. Well, reading. I realised I'd missed a lot of it. Um, Dresden Kodak. Um, I assume there is a lot to, of it to have missed if you haven't read it since, say, two thousand and eight. Yeah, I mean, I started at the beginning. I'm not very far th- through, but I've been catching up on that a bit. Mm. Um, it's not as good as I remembered, but it's still good. Mm. Um, Related to that, um, just something I spoke this week. Um, Aaron Diaz has some new prints out, which are fucking amazing. Mm. Um, my favourite is the science working okay so far print um, in a very sort of looking to the future 1940s uh, deco style. Oh, delicious. Um, carry on. Um, Ojoy Sex Toy been catching up on basically lots of webcomic catch up um, because I finally got internet at my horrible, horrible new flat. Your dingy hovel. It's hideous. Why did I move? Um, Tell us how you distract yourself from this terrifying notion oh, by, by, reading, by, by reading comics is that the answer you want or do yes, you want the thing about the wanking no no just just the comics the wanking right. and the drinking <laughs> yeah. the drinking drinking it's good the that winking. it's fervent though I'm, go- I'm glad you're really putting the effort in <laughs> effort hours yeah weeks elbow health anyway and <laughs> it's elbow thing, so it? bad <laughs> he's got tendonitis no um, he's got to keep his entire right arm in a 
bucket of ibuprofen. It's horrifying. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to get the squelching noises out of the recording. It's to get up the stairs as well. Um, no, so I've been reading comics. Um, cool. <laughs> it would be great if we could talk about that at some point. <laughs> how has this gone so wrong already? Um... No, there's going to be a nice interview with Lucy later, and this is just going to be hideous. It's not that nice. N- not she, this Lucy. She does swear like a trooper. I, I'm not yeah. nice. Um, it should be pointed they out. They know. So no, um, the the actual printed comics I've been reading, I went back over um, Afterlife Inc. Because we're going to talk about um, Kickstarter later, so we'll talk about that later. Reading the second volume of Mind Management, and there was something else, but I honestly can't... Yes, oh, I was rereading some old authority stuff. So as I was I doing my authority. my hideous house move, I was unpacking boxes and boxes of comics. You, you know you've kind of got problems when the last box to be unpacked is just labelled comics, trade paperbacks, genre, and you can't lift it. Mm. Um, is the problem being that you're a huge nerd? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm cool with that, but... Lots of comics. But really I need, scrawny. But I need more upper body strength. <laughs> um, Cut so to yeah, montage I, of you bench-pressing absolute editions. Yeah. God, I love those things. I might dub that in on kazoo later. Oh, please, please. (laughs) Do you even play the kazoo? How can you not play the kazoo? You just hum into a tube. (laughs) It's not complicated. It's similar to many sex acts. (laughs) This is true. Which you may be familiar with. One or two. No, so I I I reread some authority... um, one of the old, um, the Seth run, it's the second Absolute Authority. Edition. Oh, the Garth Ennis yeah. uh, storyline with the, the psychotic cyborg Hillbilly. Hillbilly. Um, Human on the Inside, which is not as good as I remember it being, but is still very it's good and looks beautiful. Very pretty for that sort mm. of early, fully painted digital style. Yeah. It's very, very nice. It's a weird, it's a weird, weird thing. Um, kind of a bunch of people get tortured out of despondency into hope. It's kind oh, of why'd you want that? Yeah. It's very much a standalone, isn't it? It is. It doesn't really fit into any of the other stuff, except insofar as it plugs into some of the continuity in the um, in the Ennis stuff. Um, yeah, that's that's basically been me. Web comics, a little bit of delving back into stuff, uh, mind management, and after I think. So this was the second volume of mind management. Yeah. Is it worth continuing with? So I haven't completely finished it. I'm I was um, rounding it off last night, and I. Um, yeah, I didn't quite get to the end. Um, it is unequivocally not as good as the first one. I suspected it wouldn't be. Um, there's the so... first one seemed like it was the story they wanted to tell, and then I think it it got commissioned as an ongoing series. Yes, and it's not necessarily poorer for that, but this is a weaker book. So the first one had all the surprising things. So you had the running parallel story and the marginalia that then tied up with the main plot. Um, it had the surprises for a start. And this has tried to reintroduce that in some ways. So um, it opens with some. Ba- it's, it seems to be partly fo- focused on one of the mind management operatives, uh, op- operatives, the futurist, and it opens with some of his story, um, and then goes back to Maru from the first book um, and her reinvolvement. In... Sorry for a quick recap. These are all sort of different types of psychic operatives who yeah, are sorry, working mind for CIA like operation. Mind management is a government organization with different types of slightly weird superpowered psychics, and they all have different powers. So the futurist can infer the immediate future by sensing on aggregate the thoughts of the people around him. Um, <clears throat> the character it was partly about Henry Lime, I think, like deliberately and annoyingly close to Harry, Harry Lime, Lime yes. um, is just a, an incredibly powerful all-purpose psychic. Um, that the story is is about you pick up your him. all-purpose psychics at B and Q. Well, quite. 
Uh-huh. Next to the dehumidifier. And the grouting. Which I need in my horrible flat. Get one with that steam mop you were so enamoured of. Which I need in my horrible flat. Feed the steam mop into the dehumidifier. No, that would destroy the universe. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so there are all these weird and wonderful sort of psychic characters and a mad conspiracy and all the usual shit. But the first one is actually quite unsettling and does some reasonably innovative things and the art style is quite fidgety and painty and itchy and it really works to build atmosphere. In the second one, we already know much of the big reveal. Um, so, in the first one, some, you know, we, we learn a bunch of stuff, and it emerges that there's a cyclical element to the story that makes it horrible and depressing and kind of pathological. Um, and then the way it ends has that tremendous sort of imperfect cadence and punch, and I talked about this last time. So starting a new story after that, well, they're either going to go around the cycle again, they can't do that, that's boring. So it has to be something that breaks the cycle, and it's just less powerful. It's always going to be a less, a less interesting story, but they've done their best. So Maru, the, who's an investigative, she writes true crime books. She's not a journalist. popular Japanese cat. No. Um, is going through Did her you life. like that cat to fight crime? Oh god, yes. I like mm. the cat to fight anything. Getting, getting mixed boxes up in and yogurt pots. Sorry. <laughs> getting mixed up in the mind management program again and all that jazz. Oh. That noise is Mr. Hart drinking wine. I was gonna uh, say that too. It's quite a nice wine. So yeah, we we, we we open on Maru trying to write another book, um, and it turns out to be a different one to the first one, and she encounters a bunch of characters and it seems like someone's getting the van back together. There's some kind of shady psychic character who's trying to reassemble the mind management program. And then um Henry turns up and various things happen and they end up on the run and the marginalia are different and it is cool and it's well done and if this were the first one it would still be quite exciting um, the story they're telling in the marginalia is the text of Maru's um, true crime book and it's actually kind of interesting and it's obviously going to have some relation to the wider plot um, but the dissonance of it doesn't work quite as well the cognitive disruption so the fact that you kind of tilt the pages and do you read them before or after the main comic and all the stuff I talked about before it's just not as elegant um, is that because it was gimmicky enough the first time that you persevered and don't want to do it again? Maybe. I think it was better integrated the first time, despite being gimmicky. So the first time, it the framing device was, this is the manual. You are reading a report yes. from a field agent, this, this is the manual. And then it started being filled with subversive messages, modelling some of the facets of what Henry was telling Marrow and what she learned, and this idea that actually it wasn't the field manual, it was the guide she'd written herself to stop her forgetting. Yeah. Maybe it equivocated around that. That was my reading, but your mileage may vary. Um, this time it's just they bunged a separate story into some but not all of the marginalia. It's like it's almost like, well, mind management does this marginalia gimmick. I'm being I'm being harsh there. It's still good, it's still well written, it still looks great, but it's just not quite hanging together. I, I also I haven't quite finished reading it. I suspect one of the reasons it's not quite hanging is that there's a fairly obvious. Well, if my guess at the twist is the twist, then that's why it's not quite hanging. But right, um, and so maybe it'll pay off when I finished. Has anyone been keeping up with Manhattan projects? No. Um, I like it, mm. and it's always that thing that. If I wanted to spend ten pounds more when I was in the comic shop, I would pick up. Sure. 
I do. I do like. I would like to read more, but at the, I'm at the end of the first trade at the moment. Mm -hmm. That's where I stopped. Okay. Um, I have an appalling tendency to pick up a lot of number one trades, particularly from Image, because they make them cheaper than everything else. Mm -hmm. um, and then... God, that's a good pricing strategy. Always, mm -hmm. we slightly resent going on with the stories. It's like um, there's replicas of the Titanic that you buy in a magazine, and the first one's 99p, and after that it costs like a squillion oh, quid. The first yeah. hit's always cheap. They know how to get you in bifters. with those tiny model James Bond cars. And bifters. And bifters, yeah. Drag dealers should start selling those weird magazines. There's a season for them. The, for the TV ads, it's usually. Can like, I remember those? Yeah, Gravies of the Ancients. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's an excellent sketch. It is an I'll excellent. I'll put it in the sketch. show notes, please. <laughs> um, yeah, because because the image uh, first number one trades are so cheap, and because there's so many of them I want to read, I end up picking up loads of those, and then taking ages to get back to them. So basically, you're being tripped up by a very competitive pricing strategy and your own lack of self-control. Yes. Uh, but it's going to end up at the point where I want to read all of these things. It's going to end up where I am with Hellboy, whereas, where I love Hellboy, I've read quite a lot of Hellboy, but to buy all of the outstanding trades now is going to cost me about £300. Yeah. This is exactly where I am with Hellboy. Um, this is where I am with Transmetropolitan, which I love dearly, but I only ever bought the first two trades. I'm slowly picking those up as as I go through, as, as basically as the next one is in stock mm. in local I comics purveyor, I will... Yeah, Hellboy is a lot more expensive because it's gorgeously printed and yeah, Transmetropolitan is printed on toilet paper and it keeps yeah. it around the ten pound mark. Yeah, good for the um, bum. Yeah, well, I'm not. I'm not going nice to. Nice inky anus. I'm, I'm not going to 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 do that. Because you don't really a, want Spider Jerusalem. It's, down a, there. it's a quality read, yeah, and you don't want, want an inky him anus. grinning there. Um, no, you don't. You don't. You just don't. I've been having discussions about putting a picture of Jean Luc Picard in the bathroom so you can just look at him while you and feel it. inspired. Yeah. Well, yeah. you have the bum trouble. Feel inspired to, you know, make it so. Make it so. <laughs> oh. Well, that's, that's, mm. a, that's, that's a, a jolly old thing. Why do you ask about Manhattan Project? Because I remember reading at least part of the first trade months ago. I think you lent it to me. And I didn't remember anyone else talking about it and wondered if anyone had been keeping up with it. I think that was Neil, actually. Lent you that one. I'm I pretty, don't think it was. I think it was. Really? I think he, he's, I remember he reading likes it Manhattan here. Project. Okay. Mm. Hmm. It was definitely a sort of... Hmm. You know, casual social read rather than a thing. I think the only thing I brought When you say here, you mean at my house, not locked in my attic specifically where well, we are recording you know, this. Potato, potato. Yes. Um, who would who would like to know what I've been reading? I'm not that fast. Uh, it's polite to ask, I suppose. It is polite should, to ask. We've been doing him? so well. We've been doing so well. You've been effusive. We've said Positively stuff effusive. about things. I'd go like on, a go. Then. I'd like a go. Go on. Then. I want to. I want to see if, if you I can, can do it. I want to see if I can match you. Come on, come on. Oh, it's built up too much now. Oh, um, I've been I've been reading Martial Law, which came out in really? the early nineties. Um, Is it good? I keep meaning to have a look because I hear occasionally promising things. It's good as broad satire. Um, so, for anyone who doesn't know, it's um, it's Pat Mills and Kevin O'Neill um, doing a very cynical British comic. Um, it's a world where there were a load of superheroes created and they were basically involved in a Vietnam-style conflict. Um, I don't think this is spoilers because this did come out 20 years ago. Um, and basically this this guy is uh, is the police force's anti-superhero squad and he is dressed like a 
like a gimp and like with a zip over his mouth and with barbed wire embedded in his arm and he goes around shooting people but it's subversive and funny um actually actually funny it's so i i bought a couple of the old uh trades in a charity shop which i i assume they were in there because they've just been reissued as a big shiny hardback with far better printing Mm. um but there are there are two trades of it and at the time assume everyone's familiar with Kevin O'Neill from League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Um, but at the time, he the comics code was still kind of a thing in the early 90s, and um, Kevin O'Neill's artwork got banned under the comics code. You just, not only... So normally it was just like, you can't show corrupt cops, you can't do this, that, and get... Did it really get, last to the 90s? It was lasted until about five years ago. Jesus it, Christ. No one was paying attention at that point. Of course. Um, now. Oh, sorry, I'm conflating... It existing with people giving a shit. Mm. Yeah, no, 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 no. Mm. They're, they're not the same thing. Mm. Um, but it existed up until about five years ago, at which point it kind of went up. And now the copyright is owned by, um, I believe, the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. And they kind of use the trademark to, to raise money because it's still known and recognized, mm. um, which is quite a nice outcome for a horrendously backward thinking mm. uh, thing. But yeah, Kevin O'Neill's artwork was banned under the Comics Code. You could not publish anything by Kevin O'Neill under the <laughs> Comics Code, nor could you publish anything that looked like Kevin O'Neill's artwork. <laughs> he, he, because of martial law, he's the only artist specifically to have been banned under wow. the Comics Code. Um, Did he spawn enough imitators that drawing like him was a real threat? I think in the threat? early 90s, there were a lot of, sort of like Tank Girl was very similar mm. to his style. So was this a bit like sort of deconstructed... Um, 80s graphic design and typography the sort of yes very much the um, became sort of very, vogue very quickly scratchy messy scratchy messy very yeah, very um, not my era ass- assuming yeah. that the future would be covered in ads hey kids um, our site has no ads um, yeah it, Only it's you won't let me. very much that sort of thing there's a difference between ads and uh, Amazon links that, that go to your personal account and then track everything that people buy so you can see when I whenever I buy cat food, Amazon fucking tells you. I don't... And it hey, gives you a hey, pound. Those are synergistic kibbles. Gives him a pound. Those, no, those were a free sample. Those synergistic, synergistic kibbles, kibbles were a free sample. It doesn't tell me it's you. I just infer it because the cat food is so poncy. No, you but... couldn't tell. You couldn't tell who bought Norse Myths and Pancake Mix. No, I couldn't. And that was two separate people. It tells me what is bought on each day. That's it. Because they actually they stay within the law of what the Information Commissioner says they may or may not do. And what percentage of it is just pretzels? Many. But anyway, rereading Martial Law. It's, um, it's a lot of fun. It's probably lost a little bit of its bite in the 20 years intervening. And the whole... Is it the world is bigger and badder The now? whole superheroes are dicks idea has been done better mm. since, but this was one of the earlier examples. So is it basically like a, little a non-shit version of The Boys? The Boys has taken so much from it. The Boys has... Yeah. Yeah, it's basically a far smarter version of The Boys. Um, it would be hard to be much dumber. Yeah, well, The Boys is kind of Garth Ennis, Garth Ennis in his dotage. Mm. Um, Garth, Ennis, I to Garth Ennis on his worst day is still better than Mark Miller on his best, though. <laughs> um, Fair. Anyway, I've just randomly insulted people there. Uh, I've also been reading uh, a recent volume of uh, Thor, which is 
not really the sort of thing I would normally read, but um, the reason... I saw Thought the other day. Yes, you did. Was it There good? were bits of the film where he had clothes on. Roger didn't like those bits. <laughs> I see. Um, I was Thor later. <sighs> have you thought They have actually yet? done that joke in yeah, I, the comic. I know. And is it Sandman? Um, possibly, it? yeah. I think it's Sandman. Um, How does it compare to the first film? I didn't like it as much. Mm. Um, it I, think, basi- I think the first film was my favourite of the sort of Avengers pre-films. So it spends a lot more time in Asgard, which is nice. Because um, yay, rainbows and fantasy setting. Yeah, and those characters get... Uh, most of them get far less to do. Mm. It's I just like, hey, remember these guys? Um, I, I thought... I, the first had a few missteps, a few more, um, but it made more sense. But the Well, the first one had a very good, clear character arc. Yes. Um, Not very go- well acted. He goes from being a dick to much less of a dick. And in this one, he's kind of the same character that he was at the end of Thor, was in the Avengers, kind of blustering, but kind of all right. Mm-hmm. Swings exactly back to the dick, same at the end. Or... No, no, oh, okay. still exactly the same at the end. There's, there's... But it's got a lot more development for Loki. It's got and some, bitches love Loki. It's got okay. it's it, it's it introduces a certain ambiguity which I do like was me a little bit of Loki. Yes. Is it by any chance a sexual ambiguity? Uh, no, but that's coming in the comics. Grand. Uh, well, it's kind of hinted at in Young Avengers. It's hinted at in Young Avengers, and in Loki, Agent of Asgard, he is going to be explicitly bi. Do Loki he... fucking, as they call it in Germany? Yes. Yes. <laughs> do Loki fucking. They, they, they don't actually have a, a, a version of Loki in the the Germanic. Uh, pre-Norse gods, but I guess sorry. You're not no, sorry. No, I was just about to say something borderline racist, so I won't. Okay, good. Um, I can't switch no, race out of interest. I was going to make a frivolous Germany organization. No time for chaos. No Loki. It was wasn't even going to be very funny. Interesting. No. I like the deconstruction of it though. Yeah. So, but no, he's, so there's, the, there are a bunch of moments in in Young Avengers where you think, did did he just hit on Hulking? Hmm. But, but he's too young for that. To, well, not necessarily because he's not. He's an ancient god, but he's in the body of a child at that point. But then again, how old, like physiologically, is Kid Loki? He's is he about to hit puberty? It's hard to tell. Oh, kids are sexual at that age these yeah. days. I mean, kids are just fucking all over the place. They're just That's doing the it. There's like me. three outside the house. Exactly. I you have to, to go out with a broom. broom. <laughs> <laughs> god, it happened again. It hasn't happened for a long time. Yeah, it's been like a week uh, yes. since we made the same joke. So we appear to be blathering and haven't really talked about Kickstarter. At no, this no, point. no, no, no. Well, let, let's first. Oh, you're just, still. We're still doing. This is still I've, your I've got a ton to go. Oh, I'm looking forward hell. to bisexual Loki. But anyway, uh, the My second Thor film was fun, but kind of uneventful. It felt like an episode. I found. Okay. Um, and yeah. I didn't think it was as good as the first one, but then. And the Christopher Eggleston was wasted. Absolutely. Yeah. There was <laughs> really a, fucking drunk. He was, yeah. yeah, he wasn't even speaking English, so he must have been fucking gone. <laughs> I Elf bet he jokes. Had, I bet he actually learned Elvish and delivered his lines perfectly. Yeah, they made up a language they had. He, yeah, that, that's actually Linguists true. Linguists and stuff. For the, for the five minutes he's on screen, they did invent a language and force him to speak it. Oh, for fuck's sake. I uh, mean, that's kind of great. I assume but... it has a really good grammar. Uh, probably. I think it's based on Finnish. I've already read far too much about this for a film that I thought was fun, but okay. It just sounded like someone trying to pronounce a Pearl script. I want to be an exolinguist. Just invent alien languages. I want to study actual alien languages. I mean, they don't fucking exist, but I can pretend. Well, they probably do, but we just Maybe. haven't encountered them yet. Maybe. Anyway, I've I'm been quite reading Thor. Aliens. Really? Yeah. We need to talk about this. I fucking love other intelligences and all yeah. that shit. I've been reading M-class Thor. M-class planets. Mm. 
I'm reading Thor. You've been reading Thor. Reading Tell Thor. us more about Thor, Dave. We'll, we'll just talk about Star Trek forever. So I spoke. I talked about the first volume in the, when we were talking about Big Weird Sci-Fi because it was mm-hmm. Big Weird oh, yeah, Sci-Fi, yeah. Um, and it's a continuation of that storyline. It's by Jason Aaron. It's great. Um, I won't go into much detail because people people have seen that one and we've, we've gotten distracted, but it was a lot of fun. Um, it's called Thor God Bomb and I really liked it. That's a great title. Yeah, it's because... Is it nonsense? Built... Um, With a title like that, it sounds like it should be nonsense. It's about someone building a bomb that will kill all gods. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty good. It's, um, it's quite entertaining. Um... It also has three ages of Thor, like dumb Viking era Thor, Avengers Thor, and grizzled elderly future Thor teaming up to um, smack the crap out of the thing with hammers. And they, yeah, <laughs> it's good. Um, I read Super Mag, which is something I picked up in Gosh, um, and is by uh, a guy called Jim Rugg, who. Good name. Is, yeah, good name. Uh, he's a Pittsburgh based comics artist, but Super Mag is kind of him doing kind of graphic design and comics and all sorts of stuff and it is a it's it's showing off because he draws in about 15 different styles throughout the whole thing and it's brilliant and mysterious polyp style or no just completely different so graphic okay. design style it's basically mysterious polyp. Mm-hmm. it's basically done as though it's a um like a ridiculous uh face style magazine it's um just completely different throughout, jumps all over the place. So one page will be like a 1940s adventure comic and then you'll get to a series about of uh, vanilla ice trading cards about how he got hung out of a window by Suge Knight and, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, beat his wife. And that's wow. probably the first time that Suge Knight has been referenced on a comics podcast. I'd, <laughs> I'd like to think that's a first anyway. Um, white dude's talking about hip-hop producers. Yes. Um... It should be noted that Dave did little kind of hands in the air. Yeah, yes, oh, like, I, was, did not I was short of yelling yatar, but that, yeah. that, that you're was kind of rocking back and forth as well. Yeah, a bit. Um, but anyway, it's 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 a sort of self-contained thing, just of his artwork of in various different styles. Some of which is comics, some of which isn't, and it's really cool. Hmm. Um, it's just someone talented doing a lot of really good stuff. Um, he also does a podcast on Boing Boing where he interviews a lot of uh, a lot of interesting comics people, mm. which is worth listening I'd to. I'd listen to that if I weren't kind of pissed off with Boing Boing. Why are you pissed off with Boing Boing? Because Cory Doctorow talks a load of shite. Just don't read his posts. You can filter them. Yeah, but yeah. I know they're there. I'm sorry. So I also read um, The Black Beetle, uh, No Way Out, which is a pulp adventure um, by an artist called uh, Francisco Francovella, who... If you've read any mainstream comics recently, you will probably encounter because he's on everything now. Um, so he does a lot of stuff as a cover artist. Um, so he does like he does the IDW Doctor Who comics. Uh, he does Afterlife with Archie, which is a zombie apocalypse story set in the Archie comics. Okay, that sounds amazing. Why um, haven't I read that? I don't know. <laughs> um, he does. Uh, he's done bits of Batman. He did. Uh, he did a few. He did some fill-ins on Hawkeye. The mm. issue with the backstory for the clown in the current oh, run. Oh, that was so very, weird. very big light and shadow stuff. Yeah, um, almost. Um, oh god, what the fuck is that called? Uh, Shira Skira. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, which is not actually a type of steak as I previously thought. I didn't think that. That's just a bad joke. Um, it sounds like he's it also be quite well known for. He's quite well known for the um, Breaking Bad mini posters he did, where he did mm. a little individual one for each one. Anyway, he's kind of like. I love a, what they did on the box set. What have you heard about this? On the Breaking Bad box yeah. set. No. There is um, there is a, a released alternate ending, which is a scene from Malcolm in the Middle. With them waking up in bed together, and I just—I you know, had the weirdest dream. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that—that right. that for me rescues Breaking Bad because I can't fucking stand that show. But that really, well, yeah, I really, really dislike it. Okay, we it. do not have time to get into this. No, it's not comics, but later it's okay. We'll take it outside. And, fish and, chips, and a big brick of eggs. A big brick of eggs. A big egg brick. I'm not going to poop for a week. I had a, a brick omelette last night. A brick. I had a bromlet last night, I'm having a break tonight. There's just no transit in my digestive system happening this week. I made um, cauliflower and um, sun-dried tomato pesto, I saw and from it was the super tasty. I had a ham, but you don't have to. Served to come for it, I love it. tapenade. Anyway, the Black Beetle is it, a... It was um, a bit like that. It was... God, it was really oh God, good. Can it's, we have tapenade of the week on the yeah, podcast? It makes an amazing dish. Is it the one where you hit olives? Yeah. It's always going to be that one, isn't it? Because yeah. tapenade. <laughs> It's a good one. It's a Thomas classic. of the week, chickpeas with violence. <laughs> but no, you mash up um, cauliflower with sun-dried tomatoes and chilies and capers and a little bit of parsley and some parmesan, obviously oil. How um, much parmesan we're talking? You say a little bit, but you mean a Roger little bit, don't I know, you? I mean, okay. well, I mean, I mean enough to stop you pooping. Yeah. You're um. But it's so good. It's from your suggestive kitchen. stairs do not translate well to an audio format. It's fucking delicious. Look, we but, want to have sex with some goo, okay? But I was, I was sad that I put it on pasta, because I should have just slathered it on bread and pushed it into my gaping maw. Would it have been good if you'd sort of garlic crostinied the bread beforehand? Oh. Yeah. Or, or you could use it as a base sauce for flatbreads or pizza. Oh, yes, pizza. Yes, pizza. Oh, God. I, think, some, I think I have a sense. This is going to end up with you fucking a calzone. Again. Again. <laughs> I did not have sexual relations with that calzone. You had the burnt wiener to prove it, sir. So, the she Black Beetle the dress. is a pulp adventure story in the style of 1940s pulp adventure stories. It is not a cauliflower dish that you will do things to. And will um, do things to you. It was so tasty. And it's great. It's great. Very much like your cauliflower dish. Um, I'm sorry, we're not really giving you the time you of day, are, are not. We? No, I'm. You deserve so much more. I'm ostensibly this, the host of this. This is like being well. back on the One Metal podcast. I should be. I should be imposing order on you. People. You should be wearing a fancy crown. I mean, you're the the I'm lifeblood gonna, of this organisation. You're I, holding this shit together, and we just don't respect I'm you. I'm going to bring things to throw next time. In fact, I've got a bunch of weights there. I might just start throwing dumbbells at you every time you misbehave. I can reach them better than you can. You can. This is true. You also, can throw the RTDs yeah. laundry basket. I can at me. throw my drawing board at you. Yeah. Damn, yeah. sir. Yeah. Take it back to the drawing board. You've got a bunch of Nerf guns over there. Yeah. This is true. Anyway, The Black Beetle is a punch, punch, pulp adventure story. It's fun. Yeah. Um, uh, it suffers from that thing that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. suffers from, where everyone has a big dark secret. And, and it's such, really clumsily telegraphed. There is no, there's no, there's no character development, mm -hmm. because everyone's waiting on a big, one big reveal, rather than just developing, developing the, the way that humans do. So if you have a uh, uh, if you have a character in a cape who fights crime and has a whole bunch of um, gadgetry and uh, you don't give him a backstory, I'm gonna fucking assume that's Batman. Um, it, it's it's 
So there's a lot more of this coming and it will probably be filled out, but this is kind of annoying me a lot at the moment. People who don't seem to understand that you need some sort of character development to hang things off. Have you ever met a real-life serious adult human who actually has a big dark secret? Because that um, seems to be the kind of thing that just doesn't really fly with grown-ups. If I have, they've never revealed it or been caught out in some sort of dramatic fashion. So big and so dark that you couldn't yeah. even comprehend. I mean, they must exist, because you hear about all sorts of things on the news, but the percentage of the population must be absolutely trivially small. Yeah. Well, true, but no one tells stories about those people. Hmm. Also, what, except the sad comics. I the guess sad comics then, are all about the people that don't have the. They just get on with their lives in a slightly sad way. Uh, that's the noise of humans deflating over the course of a pointless lifetime. Mm. Uh, There's one more thing I've read. Please. Oh, for fuck's sake, hurry it up. Apparently, I'm good cop now. <laughs> that's a change. <laughs> so I read the Encyclopedia of Early Earth uh, by Isabel Greenberg, which is lovely. Um, it's, uh, it's kind of a, I use this phrase a lot, but it's a story about stories. Um, it's, uh, basically kind of, uh, the, the legends of a prehistoric version of Earth, um, but also one that was considerably smaller and expanded to make the Earth we know today. Um, this is explained in the footnotes at the end. Uh, and it's, it's basically about a couple... Uh, one of whom is a storyteller, and they can, for reasons that are un not entirely d defined, but basically because the gods are dicks, they can never ever touch, and so he regales her with stories um, throughout the course of their lives, and it's bits of uh, creation myths and the Bible, and it's the thing I was referring to earlier when you were talking about it just gets, it has its own tone and nails it completely. Yeah. Um, it's a combination of having a real ear for how spoken word storytelling works mm -hmm. mm. um coupled with uh it, coupled with uh bits of modern vernacular um and a really uh really sort of gorgeous almost sort of woodcut style um illustrative style and it's it's really really good i'm going to do a full write up of it but it's an excellent book excellent and i would recommend it to mm. people humans and i just did cool on the future radio. Okay, so now the, the the theme of today is ostensibly Kickstarter, because there's a lot of stuff on that Kickstarter, a lot of comics on that Kickstarter. Uh, so first of all, we're going to cut to an interview with an actual comics person, Lucy Bellwood, who has been part of two Kickstarter campaigns, and she's going to talk to us about Kickstarter. Hello, Lucy Bellwood. Why, hello there. Hello. This is no doubt a seamless transition from whatever we were talking about before into this interview. Introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Lucy Bellwood. You already know that. Uh, I am well, a cartoonist. I know that. Well, you know that. They don't know that. I've been on here before. Well, no, I haven't been on here before. You've been but mentioned. You've me before. Yes. I am a cartoonist and illustrator living in Portland, Oregon, in the great United States of America. Um, and I have funded a couple of projects on Kickstarter, which is probably why you've dragged me in here digitally to speak about this. Um, yeah, that and... No, it's basically that. Yeah. Uh, also... Stop my mellifluous tones. Well, you know, one of the things we've found is that it's very useful to have different distinguishable voices on this thing, because I've listened to a few podcasts where it's just three guys who sound identical. Um, so we've got, you know, we've got me sounding 
kind of like posh Batman. And then we've got Roger, who sounds like a posh, a posh homosexual. And then we've got Lucy, who is a girl. And now we've got you, who is a girl, <laughs> but has a foreign voice. Uh-huh. Um, yes. So this is this is very cunning. To be honest, I just thought it was all you doing a series of clever impressions. Um, if it was, I would not think particularly highly of myself. But that's diversity. You know, you got the gays, you got the ladies. Yep, there's a lot of tokenism. You got the Irish, yeah. Uh, okay, so. So, what was the first uh, project you did on Kickstarter? So I first went to Kickstarter about uh, a little over a year ago, year and a half ago, um, because I had written and illustrated a comic called True Believer and wanted to do a modest print run of 100 copies. It was a 36-page color comic. And people had been talking a lot about Kickstarter. I'd heard really good things about it, so I set up a, a modest campaign to try and publish the book. I asked for uh, $1,200, I think, 1500 so- something relatively small, but at the time, to me, it felt like an astronomical sum of money. Um, and this was while I was, I was still in school. The project had been part of my senior thesis project, um, and it was a graduation requirement, but I knew the college wasn't going to publish it because I would be selling it to make money. So I launched the Kickstarter campaign in my last three weeks as an undergraduate, which was a terrible idea, because if there's one thing about Kickstarters, it is that they will consume you, body and soul, uh, and you'll never be able to focus on anything while they're running or for several months afterwards. And I didn't quite realize that, so it was rather difficult to focus on doing coursework and you know finishing writing my thesis and doing other things while this uh, explosion was happening. Um, but I set the campaign to run for three weeks, and uh, not anticipating that small goals like that are very feasible for Kickstarter campaigns, uh, especially those with a decent social media network attached to them. Um, and so I blew through my goal in the first three hours of the campaign, and uh, it just continued to climb over the next three weeks. And by the time it closed, the morning that I graduated, uh, it was at 11700 and something dollars, so about 700% funded which was completely unexpected and very cool uh, and changed my life for the better in many ways. So how much did you plan? Did you you look at any other avenues like scraping together money to do a print run, sell, expand and and so on? Or did you sort of go Kickstarter? Okay, I'll just give that a try. Um, I had self-published several other comics before, but most of them had been shorter and in black and white, and so the upfront costs for publishing a substantial number, or self-publishing a substantial number, weren't as great. Uh, And as it was, because so many people pledged to the campaign, I ended up publishing 500 copies instead of, you know, the original 100 or whatever I was aiming for. Uh, And I think it was just that it seemed like a larger upfront cost than I was comfortable paying for and I didn't have enough of a uh, online presence to reliably bet on simply using pre-orders because there are plenty of stores online storefronts that will allow you to take pre-orders for you know comics that haven't been released yet and then you can use that money to pay for your publishing costs and that way you have a guarantee that uh, the book will be funded once it comes out but yeah I, did, I didn't have that kind of capital and I didn't have that kind of exposure um, or that kind of developed social network. And honestly, I think a lot of what caused the Kickstarter to be so successful and the reason that I'm grateful I went with it is because it was, A, at a time when Kickstarter hadn't become quite so prevalent, and I'm astonished even in the last year how many people run campaigns now and how frequently I see 
uh, you know, requests for information from friends who would also like to launch them, or uh, pleas on Facebook from people who are running their own campaign and want some help funding it. It's it's just become very common, which on the one hand is great, on the other hand means that it's like your friends are constantly passing the hat to try and fund whatever exciting creative endeavor they have going, which is great, uh, but hard on the wallet in the long term, and people have become a little bit more uh, selective, I think, about which campaigns they back. That's no problem for me because most of my friends are talentless hacks. Um, <laughs> thanks, thanks. But you you live in a in a community full of artists. A lot of your friends are artists, so yeah. And that and that may also be because it's coming from yeah. My social circle does skew towards people who are likely to have creative projects. But th- there's been a lot of you know. It's not just comics friends of mine. A lot of the time, um, I have a friend who. Uh, an acquaintance from college who just launched a League of Legends coaching Kickstarter. Uh, I know nothing about League of Legends, um, but well, his, that, that is a horrifying notion. I, I don't know. He he coaches people in how to play the game, I guess, and wants to start like a service for it, uh, something. Um, so the you know people come out of the woodwork. It's for all sorts of stuff. There's writers who have launched stuff. You know, people that I didn't know had particular interests or talents who send me links to Kickstarters that I'm really surprised and uh, delighted by. Um, so it's been it's been more varied than just comics people, but yeah, it may have something to do with the fact that I I truck with a lot of people who are looking for that kind of startup cash. So when you were sort of first getting started, what were the main challenges? What were the things that you had to really sort of set up in advance? There's a lot of pre-game work that goes into making a successful Kickstarter, I believe, and uh, it's it's heartening to me that lots of people do email and ask for advice and say, hey, we saw you had a really successful campaign, can you give us some pointers? A lot of the advice that you'll find is, is pretty standard, but there are certain things that I think are specific to Kickstarter. The, the thing that took the most time, uh, undoubtedly, was the video, which I poured a great deal of effort and... Uh, time into because I feel like the campaigns that I had seen prior to launching my own you know people who obviously put a lot of effort into the presentation of their Kickstarter campaign so they have a professional video um, which you know essentially means that it doesn't look like it was recorded on your webcam in a closet with the lights off uh, with you speaking through a paper towel or something um, and you know that that suggests that like if you take your presentation seriously, you take your work seriously, and you take yourself seriously, and it's very likely that you will follow through on your project with a degree of dedication that people can expect to pay good money for. Yeah. So this, this is um there was a, there was a, a Kickstarter project launched last week, and I think it was um, Sean Murphy who did Punk Rock Jesus. And, yeah, yeah. Um, he's drawing the wake right now. It's really good. Yeah. It, so he's he's someone that I like as an artist. I've read that and uh, Joe the Barbarian, which is also really good. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, whatever he's doing, I'm in. And then saw this video where he just kind of talks about his wife's breasts for a while, and then like it keeps cutting out in the middle of sentences, and it's just like, oh, okay, um, maybe not. Just, it really did put me off. It probably shouldn't, because I think that the the finished product is going to be something quite interesting. He's basically um, doing a series of apprenticeships for for young artists, and they're all going to write a section of a comic with him. They're basically going to live at his studio for six to eight weeks at a time, learn craft, and then do part of this comic, and then the finished thing will be sent out as a reward for the people who funded this, 
which is a great idea and it's something it's a very cool idea yeah Yeah. this is also the problem it's kind of like going to see you know a favorite author read or something um where there are some authors who hearing them speak can interest you in their work when uh the mere you know cover art or whatever never would have but then there are other people whose work you can really like and if you hear them speak aloud you're just like oh this this is not this is not for me <laughs> i'm not interested in this person at all anymore and therefore not interested in the things they create which is challenging right and i think that's been kind of hot on yeah. hot on the uh, the nerd hive mind ever since the ender's game film was announced and there's been all the orson scott card controversy yeah i mean i i saw um neil gaiman a couple of weeks ago um and he was you- Dick. He was reading from uh, The Ocean at the End of the Lane. Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen the book or if the cover's the same in the US, but yeah. right here it's from the, the school of I could have done that in five minutes in Photoshop uh, graphic design. Um, but but hearing him speak from it, uh, read from it, really did sell me on it. Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't realize that was going to be a thing for you. I didn't. I, I, yeah. I'll, have to, I'll, I'll have to edit out the swearing because we are a very PG sort of a podcast. Yeah, well, you know, the kiddies, they love their comic books. And as we all know, bam, pow. Biff, bang, pow. Not comics just... are for kids. No, they're not for kids anymore. Well, oh, shit. Uh, I'm fucking it up. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, that, that is a problem with Kickstarter is that, you know, occasionally people do do dick moves or just kind of eh, moves that, yeah. you know, yeah, so don't the, the... inspire a lot of confidence. There, there, there have been some really dumb moves made, and I'm sure we will have talked about them in the future when we record the rest of this podcast. Um, yes, future past podcast. But most people, most people seem to know what they're doing. Yeah, the the, the, the presentation is an issue. Um, and I think it's the biggest thing. A lot, a lot of people said that they were convinced solely by the quality of the film, and you know that I think had a large part to do with. It's no secret that I'm an extrovert, and I, I've done a lot of theater stuff, and so, yes, there were hours and hours of horrible outtakes of me just not being able to keep a straight face and speak into the camera, but I know there are people who just get deeply, deeply uncomfortable if they have to do stuff like that, and I, I really do encourage folks who come to me with that question of, hey, how do I sell my project if I just can't stand to be on camera in front of people? And I backed a successful project from a guy who didn't want to be on camera, so he would record audio fragments uh, and he would do updates like this too where you would like listen to this mp3 where he was sitting in a field and he would describe what it was like in Denmark that day and how the bees were buzzing on the daisies and it was uh, really unusual and I liked it a great deal just because you know it's an innovative way to get around that issue Uh, but I really do think if you possibly can putting a face on a campaign is important because with Kickstarter it's really all about story you know, why the story of your project matters to you, why it should matter to your reader, why they should care. It's just like, I mean, it's basically like any other kind of creative work. You want people to become invested. You want to create in them a desire to buy into whatever you're making. And doing a, doing a genuine video that, you know, hits the points of being professional and clear, hopefully funny, genuine, um, people really respond to that hopefully because you're responding to it right and that kind of enthusiasm is infectious yeah so there was one there's one that i backed uh, recently which is a sort of illustrated book rather than a comic book um so mm-hmm. it's prose illustration and a record and there were the, the sort of the actual straight up explanation bits were um pretty much guy facing a webcam bad audio quality just talking but then it would jump into bits of the record and 
uh, stop motion stuff that was still shot on the same webcam, but was so uh. so brilliantly done that it it just made me want to back the thing, and I did. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, it's interesting. There are some campaigns that I will back solely on the strength of the video. There's other campaigns that I won't even watch the video, and I will just read the description and say, "Yes, this is something I'm interested in." Or if it's a friends campaign, a lot of the time I'll just back it because you know we're friends and I want to support them, rather than. Well, I don't know if your video is good enough, then maybe I'll do it. Yeah, there's all sorts of reasons. Uh, I mean, sometimes you just see people who are there who who effectively are just buying a finished product and yeah. put their money down, and sit back, and just ignore the rest of it. Um, I think for my part, I sit somewhere in between. I'll sort of read the updates and I'll join in with surveys and things like that and feedback if it's necessary. But I don't quite want to have a deep personal tie to the artist or anything like that. Um, right, right. I will say that that has been one of one of the most consistently amazing things for me, because it's been you know a year and a half since that campaign happened, is um, the people who have stuck around who didn't know about me before that campaign found out about me through Kickstarter, pledged, some of them at, at staggeringly high levels, and then have become that, that magical, sought-after unicorn, the true fan. You know, the person who sticks around and just buys everything you put out is always, you know, if they can, they'll make it out to a show to come and say hi to you. Like, it's Kickstarter is great for developing those kinds of personal relationships between creators and fans. And that's what the stuff of creative success is made of. You know, creative financial stability is a community of people who are willing to support you under any circumstances. Um, or, you know, under the, uh, the, circumstances. A thousand, thousand true fans? Is that yeah, the same? Yeah, that's, that's Kevin Kelly's. Uh, essay about it um, yeah. which is on his website the technium I believe uh, but I quote that a lot when I'm talking to people about you know how to how to make it as an artist but his idea is for most creative people and he says your num your mileage may vary with this number but it's about a thousand uh, true fans to make a steady income solely off of your creative work so you've done so true believer was you on your own and then you were part of the cartosia Kickstarter as well weren't you Correct, yeah, and that happened um, this summer, uh, or yeah, the, basically the month of August and September, just about, um, part of August, part of September, and that was a longer campaign and far more audacious. Uh, our goal was just shy of $40,000, which, you know, if I if I thought 1500 bucks was a lot on Kickstarter a year ago, um, 40,000 seemed, if I'm being perfectly honest, completely unreachable. Uh, I was terrified that we would not make our goal. And it was, you know, a, a more audacious project than just publishing a single comic. Uh, our editor, Isaac Cates, who I respect immensely for this decision, is paying all of his contributors and has been really upfront and very committed to making sure that everybody, you know, gets, gets the money that they deserve for their work. Um, and it's not, you know, bags and bags of gold in any circumstance, but it's... Uh, enough to suggest that he takes us seriously and values us for our work, which I think is a trend that we're seeing more of, especially in uh, anthology-published, uh, or Kickstarter-published anthologies and collected works. There's another great one that's going to be coming out uh, next year called Beyond, which is a um, queer sci-fi and fantasy anthology put together by uh, Spay Monster and Rachel Edidin, and uh, their that, gang, yeah. their contributors. Yeah, it's, it's going to be really amazing. Um, but there's them. Uh, uh, I know uh, 
Spike Trotman when she's done Smut Peddler and uh, The Sleep of Reason, her various anthologies, which have been very successful on Kickstarter, she'll have stretch goals to pay artists more. So, you know, as the as the comic meets and it exceeds its goals, money starts to go back into the creator's hands, which is a really valuable thing. Uh, and I'm hoping are that they, that's a trend we're going to see continue. They're doing a third volume of Smut Peddler at the moment, aren't they? Uh, second volume. Second volume. Um, yeah, pitches were due last month, I think, or the month before, short while ago. Um, but yeah, I think that submissions process is closed now, so they're determining who's going to be in the anthology, and I would guess that they'll launch a campaign sometime early next year. Cool. So how, yeah. diff- how different is it being part of that big group compared to doing it by yourself? Well, I think this is something that uh, I was just talking with one of my fellow Cartosian creators, uh, Jen Vaughn about because she works for Fanagraphics who just had or are still having their very successful um, next season comics printing Kickstarter. Like, which, I'd like to point out that we came up with the idea for for the topic before they did that, but you know, <laughs> I'm not, not I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that we inspired them, but you know, I do have Gary Growth's uh, number on Hot Art. I don't, I can't stand the man, but. They are doing very, very well with that, um, which is great uh, because it is, you know, their slate of upcoming books is absolutely fantastic. Oh, and they had such a a huge blow with um, Kim Thompson dying very unexpectedly. Yeah. um, That, you know, I I think there can be a skepticism against publishers of that sort of size because while Fantagraphics, in in the grand scheme of things, is not a huge publisher. In the world of comics, they're pretty big, and in the world of alternative comics, they're kind of they're they're pretty much the tip top. Yeah, they're the they're they're the sort of house of pretty much unerringly good, clever shit. Um, So it's it's great that there is actually this safety net there to make sure that they're not struggling effectively. That these books that they've had on their slate for years are going to make it out and stuff like. Dan Klaus, who in in the the world of alternative comics is a superstar, the idea that his his work could be knocked back by the death of one man is kind of terrifying. So it's great that they can can get the money in this way as a safety net and make sure the books are coming oh, out. And I think not even as a safety net. You know, there's, it's the same policy where people um, express you know consternation that uh, big names are going to Kickstarter to get funding, and I. I don't understand that that argument or that distress, the idea that, you know, you can be too big for Kickstarter and it should just be for individuals or for grassroots people or, you know, what, whatever it is. And I feel like what's great about Kickstarter is that as a model, it basically allows people who want things to pay directly for the things that they want and enable them and make them happen. And if that's a Veronica Mars movie... So be it, you know? A lot of, and I, I really appreciate the Kickstarters put out those articles on the fact that people who come for those kinds of big profile Kickstarters who haven't pledged on the site before will often stick around and plug money into lots of other projects that they wouldn't have otherwise known about or backed. And I like the idea that it is a sort of ever expanding pool of potential backers yeah. rather than this like limited ecosystem where you know it's a limited resources situation and if somebody pledges money to the Veronica Mars Kickstarter they're not going to pledge money to this other thing which is like saying that you know if a consumer doesn't I, I don't know it just it doesn't strike me as any different from the way a market works right no, consumers put money where they want it and they use it to support products that they are interested in um I and the deal with fanographics, the reason I brought it up is because, you know, it is all about scale. And like you said, in the world of indie comics, they're, they're an enormous force. And 
having them uh, open up to the public in this way has obviously generated great financial returns. And I would say that Cartosia was kind of similar in that way where like I personally don't think I could have raised 40000 in a Kickstarter. It would have been too much for me. But in Cartosia, there are you know seven core cartoonists who are working on the series, not to mention a bunch of really great guests. And we had some amazing connections. We had people who were, you know, really willing to sing our praises and get us into the press and uh, help get us the exposure that we needed. And there is something about that power in numbers thing where each individual creator brings their fan base and brings their media clout to the table. And then yeah. you can generate more buzz based on that. Um, but mostly when I'm advising individuals about Kickstarters, I say, like, don't set a really high goal because you want to guarantee that you get that money, right? And then if you get more than that, fantastic. But if you don't hit that goal, and that was what was really harrowing for me because we had a pretty strong late surge in the Cartosia Kickstarter. And up until that point, at Rose City Comic Con, the, the weekend before uh, we were closing on Wednesday, and all weekend people were coming up. We had about $9,000 left to go. And lots of people were saying, oh, what do you think? What do you think? Is it going to make it? Is it going to make it? And I just had no idea. I, you know... Yeah, it must be very different. Hitting my nails the whole time. <laughs> going going down to the wire versus you know, three hours getting a, a, a much more modest goal. Um, well, I think what was shocking to me was that even though in that first Kickstarter, even though I met my goal so fast, people kept giving money, and that seemed really weird to me because I thought, well, you know, surely people will look at the campaign and say, oh, it succeeded. But with with most comics Kickstarters, it's not about that. It's about people want the thing you're selling. It's a pre-order yeah. system. So yeah. the idea is that, you know, they will continue to um, plug money into it even after you've reached your initial goal, which of course might mean, like I did, that you'll have to adjust your numbers and decide to print more or less or whatever, make more stretch goals or other things. But uh, yeah, that that was really interesting to me and I feel like there's something about the mentality of people love a winner and so they love to see that your campaign is just flying over its goal and for some reason that makes them want to give more money <laughs> even if uh, you've already reached your funding thing and if it was pretty high to begin with but that being said, you know, we had this incredible surge of support in the last 48 hours of the campaign and sailed over the goal and closed out with you know four grand to spare I think over our over our initial target uh, my my heart health might have preferred that we hit it a little bit earlier or that we had had a lower goal so we could have known for sure because I think especially you know the, the higher your goal the bigger the stakes become right and if you don't uh, if you're at 38,000 out of 39,000 and you're looking at the prospect of losing all of that cash yeah and all of that momentum and all of that energy. And I think that's the other thing to be careful about with Kickstarters is uh, missing the opportunity of using that momentum. Because if you have a failed Kickstarter, it's almost worse than having no Kickstarter at all. Because you had a lot of people pull through for you and get excited and then be let down. Yeah. it's um, So you see a lot of, a lot of things that are quite badly planned which will just bomb early on. You see this sort of more in tech and video games where, like, for for example, someone said, we need, you know, we need $150,000 to make uh, a modern version of this old 8-bit video game that you would have bought on a tape in a supermarket in 1984. And people looked at that and went, I would play that in a browser for maybe five minutes, but that's a game from 1984 and you do not need that much money. And, you know, just there was no interest nothing at mm. all 
But then similarly, I've, I've met people who have um, sort of worked on or are working on things that are the result of sort of million pound plus Kickstarters. So you see some genuinely terrifying stuff. And I think if, if you're just buying in, you have to kind of evaluate someone's capacity to, to generate a return. Um, yeah, absolutely. How, how well people can follow through on stuff is a really big factor. And I've, um, I mean, I've backed things that have been funded, and then they've said, "Look, we 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 screwed up. We're done. We can't finish it." And it's tough, but I think it's like any. Some people get really angry, but I think it's like any creative endeavor. It's not guaranteed to succeed, especially. And when you're becoming an investor. I think that's that's kind of the weird line that Kickstarter toes is that backers aren't just customers. And I think a lot of the outrage comes from people approaching it as a customer. And the the better concept sometimes is to think about it as you are an investor in an enterprise. And if that enterprise fails, you know, so be it. Uh, and that's not to say that there are, there are not bad ways to handle that situation, right? I've known people who have offered to refund folks their money if they've been unhappy with portions of how the campaign has gone. Um, there, there's just various options, and I think it it's very important to treat your backers like you would treat customers in that sense of, you know, you give them the utmost respect and try and uh, fulfill their, their desires as best you can because they are the reason that you're getting to do what you do. But there's also a certain point after which you have to be like, look, we need to be honest here about what's going on and how feasible this is and readjusting our ideas. And yeah, that does happen. I think there was there was one in comics which was the Sullivan Sluggers Kickstarter, which I think I've talked about before on here, mm-hmm. um, which very famously got out of hand, and the artist and the author traded barbs, and it got to the point where the um, the guy who'd started the Kickstarter, who'd basically commissioned commissioned the artwork, um, had written it himself, uh, started a second Kickstarter just to try and get the shipping. Uh, money for international backers because he'd screwed up the costs genuinely quite badly Um, and obviously that got shut down straight away because you're not meant to use Kickstarter for that sort of thing and then he relaunched it on Indiegogo because they were more lax and not a good situation for anyone I mean he he seemed to be trying to fix it but then he kind of fucked up really badly to get into that situation in the first place Uh so Oh, the dark side, etc. Um, yes. Yeah, but uh, you know, I've got your comics on my shelf, so you haven't done that. I can, I can say hand on heart that you have not destroyed anyone's life or anything like that with via you. Kickstarter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, taking the time to talk to us and only swearing badly like four times. It was just at the beginning, really. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Fuck. Lucy Bellwood. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for that, Lucy. I probably said thank you in the interview, but I'm saying it again because we are incredibly thankful. I bet that was great. It sounded really good from here. These guys haven't heard it. I'm I'm sorry. This is this is you you're seeing us you're, you're seeing us like the sausage factory now. They 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 don't know. They don't know at all. Yeah, she could have just spent 20 minutes calling us dicks for all we know. And we'd have she swore quite a shit. lot. She did swear quite a lot. Well, we we never do that. No, no. She has ready access to pugs, so I owe her nothing. Oh, pugs, fucking asshole dogs, dude. Oh my god, they're well, amazing. Those, those, but they constantly show you their assholes. I know. I, I have no truck with asshole dogs. Oh. Asshole well, dogs and handbag dogs. This has to stop. They're very 
short dog, so really it's only a matter of two or three degrees rotation from the face to the arsehole. They're tiny That's not dogs. how geometry Plus, works. You have a height advantage over them. You can ignore the arsehole if you choose yeah. by just staring into the middle distance. They mm. can't jump that high. No. They can't climb ladders. Really, they can't, they can't be fine at all. No. <laughs> and you should really stop with that recruitment campaign. Damn you, the pug fire service is a thing that's going to happen. You cut this off, I can kill you. This is grade A pug material. The pug stuff stays. The pug, the pug stays in the picture. Grand. So what about that Kickstarter then? It's a thing. So we all we all sort of come from a like our actual work is a, is kind of a tech background, and mm. Kickstarter for tech has been uh, yeah. kind, of, it's kind of an ambivalence, isn't it? It's it's well, it's 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 all sorts of things. It's horribly overreported for one. So I'm Mr. Conrad. I come from a broadly speaking books industry background. So kind of in the dim dark past. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Kickstarter has a load of stuff, e tech-ish, some of it great, some of it not. There have been some phenomenal indie games, and then there have been some phenomenal bits of piss-taking that kind of actually turned out not to matter. So the Elite Kickstarter, I'm not going to reprise this whole thing, we covered it in quite a lot of detail actually on One Metal, but yeah. um, fundamentally, massively taking the piss out of the notional function of Kickstarter turned out sort of not to really matter. Yeah. Um, to consumers, or...? So... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just jumping right into my beef with Kickstarter and why I was born Big about swords. it. But so the Kickstarter is, is a tremendous haven for lazy journalism, particularly lazy tech journalism, because you can just skim it for the latest thing that looks interesting and is doing okay, and you can write about it, and then it gets funded and you can write about it again, or it doesn't get funded and you can write about it again, or even better, it gets funded and then doesn't deliver and goes bust and asks for money, more money, and then you get a great piece of lazy tech journalism. This seems to, because of production costs and poor estimation and the fact that no piece of software development cost or time forecasting has ever actually worked, um, it seems to be a particular problem for tech. If someone's just using Kickstarter to make, I don't know, scarves for dogs... Then... Hey, 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 don't bash my scarves for dogs. No, but it's tractable. It works. It's measurable, it's tractable, you can deliver on time. Dogs are pretty tractable. But um, whereas big involved, or, or there was, did you see that Kickstarter for the um, floating water cleaning Lido in New York? No. This, this, this was this was awesome. Some guys were. It was for the second development phase, not building the thing. It was for building the test rig. But they were going to build a, a, a an anchored pontoon, like floating but anchored pontoon, Lido that would have some experimental sort of filtration technology in it that would basically filter the Hudson for swimming water. Right. Damn, son. Yeah, and it, it's fucking amazing, and I didn't pledge to it, because... The... When the fuck are you going to go and swim in the Hudson? Yeah. Like, once in your life, maybe. Um, but it was really cool. It seemed to be based on some quite interesting science and su some sustainable material stuff. Was this actually on Kickstarter or was it on one of the other f social fundraising sites? Indiegogo, etc. It might have been on one of the bullshit ones. But the probably, it, it, but... doesn't, it doesn't really matter which platform. Yeah. Crowdfunding! Crowdfunding Woo! So stuff like that is a big, scary, sexy thing that actually is going to run over budget and is probably going to go tits up. A bit like the game stuff, but in a somewhat more interesting way. Comics? So we, we ranted about this on, on another podcast. We've ranted about this to each other. We do um, so many podcasts. But the comic stuff is a little bit different. So with the with so with the elite Kickstarter, it was phenomenally cynical. People, they, it was basically just let's offload the risk for something that we can't be asked to fund that will almost certainly work that will scratch a nostalgia gitch for middle-aged men. 
Yeah, and it was... It was kind there's, of there's, exploitative, and I'm sort of okay with that, because Kickstarter never promised not to be. It, it, there's an air validating the idea as well. Like, we think a whole bunch of people will buy Elite, but we don't want to develop the whole thing and find out that they won't. And, yeah, so... So the fact that, you know, you're one of those people who might go, oh, yeah, I might, if there was a new Elite game, I would totally buy that. But do we honestly believe that David Braben is having trouble funding an Elite game? No, but it's not explicitly for things that are having trouble funding. So it's it's no 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 it's not. But uh, how do I? It's, it's at its most noble when it's more. Oh, but noble is such bullshit. Actually, ignore me. It's it's it's. I kind of agree with you though, even if it's bullshit. So, is it just that we want our Kickstarters to be rags to riches, broadly, yeah. or at least um, rags to adequate? Radical. So there's um, mm. there's a couple of things there. So the, it, it's a lot of the time it is basically the commerce that is required to make the art. A lot of the time, so a lot of the things that I buy or buy is a bit of a slip there. But a lot of the things no, that I fund on psychologically on. as a user experience, it's a fucking shop. So it's you not go always. through the Amazon payment service. I have I have I have backed things where the end product is released for free on the web because I want that thing to exist. There are a couple of things that I've bunged a couple of quid because I thought they were a good idea, but I've never spent... This is a savage indictment of my lifestyle, but I've never spent what I would consider non-throwaway money on something where I didn't expect an object or a digital object. I don't yeah. think that's that savage an indictment. I mean, that's... Well, I guess it's where it, it would be an indictment if I set the threshold quite high, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it's, it's great when something that wouldn't stand a chance under a normal commercial model gets, gets the chance to be made. So, like, about um, Sunless Sea. Yeah. There's a fair chance I won't even play it. But. This is oh, a video game. It's a video game by the guy, by Failbetter, the guys that did Fall London, formerly Echo Bazaar. They have a brilliant ear for tone and writing. They're just really fucking good. Um, I played Echo Bazaar. I didn't pay for it because it had a really annoying in game micropayments mechanic, but I did feel the guys deserved some money. Um, and then they launched Sunless Sea, and I thought, actually, God, I wish. Sunless Sea had been the thing that I didn't pay for so that I could have paid for Echo Bazaar. But never mind. Um, it's turn-based strategy. It's very much like... Yeah. Um, but it's very narrative. Yeah. It's all about world discovery and their, their weird, weird world. Um, sorry, I cut you off there. No, that's what I was just saying. It's, um, it is essentially a way of getting money to people. Hmm. Um, it's essentially a payment system for things that don't exist. But and it, I, as such, you can use it for... Good and evil. Big cynical projects, and if you want to back those, that's fine. And you can use it for small uh, passion projects. Yeah, I've seen a lot of things where someone's had an that. idea fully formed and has fully costed the making process. And whether or not it's bullshit, all and a lot of it's bullshit. All it's been has I've got this thing. If you pay for it, I will make it and I will sell it to you. Well, I will give it to you. Sell it to you. Send it to you. You've paid for it. There, it's a sale. Whatever. And that's kind of up to you. Like you, um, you, you it's an interesting trading model. Yeah. Essentially, all you can do is evaluate whether that person is competent mm. to do this, and then give them money or not. What's interesting about the it for comics and other non-comics books, I guess, but we're talking about comics. I never seen one for a novel. Um, People have tried to talk me into it. It's not must, fucking happening. There must mm. be. Them. But anyway, and it's not—it's not a different model. So you're, you're essentially paying for someone's time while they create mm. the thing, and printing costs and shipping costs. So well, I mean, I guess no, the... you're paying. For, sorry, 
the medium makes it harder to give tangible surrounding things as kind of extra bonus stuff. So if you do a comic, you can do a mini comic and you can do a sticker pack and you can do a t-shirt and all that stuff. It's and harder to do that and, for a novel. Yeah. No, so I... Unless you've got a designer or somebody who can do something nice and visual and tangible to, to back your work up. So self-publishing has been around forever. Um, yeah. And Kickstarter is... Basically, it's about redistributing the risk model. So... Broadly speaking, the old model for um, self-publishing, for comics or for anything else, is, and it's it's got better with Amazon and EPUB. But um, you have this thing, you make it or you make most of it, um, then you get it printed, and you're left sitting on a bunch of inventory, and then you have to get rid of that inventory. And as anyone that's ever looked into how actual business cash flow or marketing or um, in or or kind of logistics knows. Inventory is not a good thing. You want to hold the least possible inventory because inventory is inaccessible revenue. Yeah. So under a standard self-publishing model, you get like a couple thousand units of this thing that you honestly believe someone will want made up. That you have to keep somewhere, for instance, your house. And then you as a person who is competent to make this thing has to go and learn how to do channels and distribution and marketing and PR. That's a fucking train wreck. It's, it's not that easy to learn some, these things. Some people can do it and some people can't. Can. It's not it's necessarily cool. an overlapping skill set with yeah, the ability to create as well. What's cool about Kickstarter is that it front loads that risk. Yeah. So you're not left sat on sitting on 800 boxes of your shit coffee table book of in-depth macro photographs of the Queen Mother's nipples. It's, hey, I'd buy that. You kickstarted that. She's dead. I'd buy that even more. <laughs> Necro nips, the Queen Mother experience. But yes, um... so with Kickstarter, you you front load the thing that you don't know how to do. So all you have, and you don't even because Kickstarter has the channels built in. It's got a payment system. It's got channels. It's got access. It's got lazy journalism sifting on top of it. Some of the marketing load has already been born. All you have to basically learn how to do is a bit of PR, and it's still hard. I'm not saying it's easy. But it's a lot easier to learn how to get a Kickstarter funded than it is to learn how to do sales and marketing for a business. To an extent, this is one of the things that we talked about in that interview that you've heard, um, which is that there's still a degree of presentation. Just because you're on this site, you still need to know how to sell yourself. You need to actually make a decent quality video. I am yes. not saying it's bad. I think this is great. I think this is offloading or simplifying a bunch of risk, and yes, you still need talent. Mm-hmm. But and I think it's I think the fact that certain people, so some, say, some people are better at presenting the video, the rewards, mm. all of that, and it kind of sells their competence. Well, have you seen way. that Jane Austen MMO? Which looks amazing. Right. Yeah, I've, so I've seen that. I, the, the lady was terrible I at making. Put any money in. I'm terrible at making a video, but great at explaining herself. Mm-hmm. And. Personally, I don't think the game's going to be any good, or it's certainly not going to be to my tastes. But she was tremendously personally passionate, and that came across. The video production was shite. Um, but the kind of the personal warmth and honesty was brilliant, and it looked like she'd done a fair job with the game. But How do you grind? Do you just find deeply inappropriate men and, and uh, follow them around them. for a couple of years? I, I think so. so I mean, it's my... a lot like being at uni. <laughs> my issue with the kind of you have to present yourself really well on Kickstarter thing is similar to my issue of if you self-publish you need to be able to do the marketing and channel and stuff. The skills that make you good at creating the thing do not inherently make you good at selling yourself. There's still no. a hierarchy no. of of it, the, the, the way it's but, still not filtering for 
necessarily quality of end product. It's filtering no. for competence at doing Kickstarter, so, which to an extent implies competence at end product, but doesn't necessarily guarantee I it. Mean, Kickstarter so brings you okay. closer to a cookie cutter version, and I think it does simplify in a way that having to do it all yourself doesn't. Sure. So, so I mean, so to an extent, you're, you're if you're if you're doing it as an individual, you're doing it off goodwill of the people who you are holding out your mm. hat to. You can probably get away with roping in friends with the required skills and so on. Like, but you know, taking a business plan to investors, actually, in a way, isn't really about how good your business plan is. It's about how much they believe in you. You're you're only partly selling your plan. When when you go go looking for someone to buy into your business decisions, your part of what you're selling is how plausible am I as someone to yeah. execute on this? Because no plan survives contact. All of that jazz. Plans always change. Plans evolve. So is is somebody selling how to sell yourself on Kickstarter as a service on top of Kickstarter yet? Is that a thing that's I've not? Happened? Don't know if anyone's done that on Kickstarter. I know people who I think actually Lucy's done a talk on how to run a successful. Kickstarter. Lots of people are talking about this. Yeah, um, but that wasn't for money. No, um, but I assume that this is a thing that's going to get monetized at some mm. point. I think it's it's probably Maybe we should someone, do it. someone will try and do it. We could use I think the it's money. a I think mm. it's a thing that's very easy to get caught out on because have you run a successful Kickstarter? No. Sure. Yeah. Um, oh, sure, think, you need the credentials. So, I mean, um, I, I talked about this in the interview with Lucy, but one thing that I saw this week, well, there was a couple I saw this week. One was that Fantagraphics had uh, a video out, which is great because I want them to succeed and continue because they publish a lot of the stuff that I read. Um, but, I mean, they, they, they are one of the big guys of indie comics and they got to a point where they needed cash up front and they were quite explicit about we need cash up front, and you get one of the books that's coming out soon, or you get to talk to one of the people, one of the authors, for 15 minutes, that sort of thing. Um, and because they've had a tragedy where they're a very small company, one of them died, and he was responsible for all of their European slate. He produced and translated most of their European books. Um, a guy called Kim Thompson. Um he, he died suddenly and that left them with a massive cash flow problem mm. and so they've raised a lot of money and that's kind of great and they presented that very honestly and said look we run kind of quarter to quarter on our, our finances we need the money we can offer you some great stuff here you go and even though they're by Kickstarter standards quite a big company and they mm -hmm. were asking for a lot of money like I think it was $150,000 people were fine with that, because you can present well, that brilliantly. It's yeah. not that much by the standards of a big Kickstarter these days. I mean, look at how much money the no. fucking Pebble got. Yes, well, that uh, people really want a watch that looks like a quarter of an inch of their Kindle screen for some reason. Mm. But no, so that honesty thing is a huge deal. Yeah. Um, the whole, can you can you present yourself as someone with integrity, even if you're not? And also, what happens well, if you fuck not up? Not even so... that. I mean, no, I, I, I'm, I, I, I'm assuming most of these people do have integrity, but it's it's the well, it's let's the present. Not go nuts. It's Gary Growth, and he's an absolute tosser. But um... but it's the pre again, it's it's the presentation quality that counts. It's the presentation of integrity rather than the actual quality of integrity. It's very, it's very much about presenting a slick image. And the fact that they've, you know, in Fantagraphics' case, they've got a thirty-year trading history, and they sure. put out really good books by so great I, people. I backed a book called uh, Molly Danger which hasn't arrived yet. I was hoping to read it and talk about it in time for this podcast. And um, to give a little background on it, it's uh, the guy, Jamal Igel, um, who's done quite a lot of comic stuff, um, wanted to write a... I've talked about this briefly on the podcast before. Wanted to write a superhero book that 
was for girls in a good way, I guess. So the the female protagonist, it's, it it might end up suffering from strong female protagonist syndrome, but hopefully not. Um, it, it's about this little girl who is a superhero who is learning about herself and her world and, you know, is supposed to be a reasonably real person. And it's got lots of charming all-ages touches. And I just thought it seemed lovely. It seems disarmingly and unusually nice for you. Um, I liked Runaways. Not the film with, um... No. What's-her-face kissing what's-her-face in it, which is hot, by the way. Mm. Dakota Fanning and Kristen Stewart. Stewart. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I just know. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's, it's terrifying. It's a movie with women kissing each other that doesn't have Claire Duvall. Yes, for once. Well, she's on TV now. She kisses ladies on TV. Wrong oh, age bracket right. as well. Yeah. They need some younger Claire Duvalls. Mm. But, um, yeah, she so... didn't kiss anyone and Girl Interrupted. Mm. She was too crazy to kiss the ladies. But no, so Molly Danger, it, it looked great. The the artwork samples, basically, the guy, um, Jamal Michael, sort of, from his pitch, sort of sold me that he could do this. He's been doing it for years. He had that personal plausibility. Um, it looked like it was going to work. Paid my money, thought, you know, I I treated it all. Maybe it, it was one of those retail transaction Kickstarters. I felt like I was paying, like, paying in advance as opposed to making a speculative bid. And then... An email came around to the, the uh, one of the Kickstarter updates came around the other a couple of weeks ago saying, basically, sorry guys, I have so fucked up. And when you get that on Kickstarter, you think of, what was it, Sullivan? Sullivan Sluggers. You think of one of those bad Kickstarter, well, where, where it's gone horribly tits up and someone's gone begging for money because they couldn't do maths or because they were an arsehole or whatever the answer was. But that kind of personal honesty and plausibility kind of came into play again. So the guy, the guy said... So what's happened is that since I ran the numbers on this, the international, not just international, but the international shipping charges have gone up massively and the internal shipping charges have gone up quite a bit. We've basically got two options here. Um, You can give me some more money and I'll ship it now. It's all done. Um, Or, um, were there extra rewards for that? There might have been some kind of extra thing. or you can wait, and over time, but it will take a while, I'll make up the shipping difference out of my own pocket. So, paying the top-up was completely elective, it didn't stop anything getting delivered, All the only consequence was a delay with a really sincere, really personal apology. And I gave the guy some money, because I figured why not, but it didn't feel like taking the piss, it didn't feel like being an arsehole, it felt like a fairly honest fuck-up well-owned, and that kind of personal plausibility, I think, does count for a lot on something like Kickstarter. Yeah, I think my personal experience is I've, I've backed a few things that have gone nowhere, and have you ever so, work, work, lost your money or just things that didn't yeah, get funded? Yeah, well, so there was there was one where yes, it it um, I lost my money. It wasn't a huge amount um, because basically they it was a, it was a video game they developed in a very stupid language. When they lost their lead programmer, they had no one to replace him. Um, because no one else writes in fucking Go, because, you know, you can hire them away from Google, or there is no one else. What the fuck? Yeah, no, it was was a game that was written in Go, which is a language that Google uses that no one else uses. Um, And Google don't use it that much. But anyway, they they basically lost their lead programmer and kind of found no way to, to deal with this and said, if you want your money back we will refund everyone who asked for it and at that point it's, it was a small enough amount that it seemed churlish to do so mm. um, and they were having a hard enough time as it was 
and stuff like that doesn't really put me off because I'm I'm sympathetic to how things are created and you know and also you're not making big enough bets that you really can't stand yeah, to lose the money yeah if I, if I couldn't stand to lose it I wouldn't be buying that stuff in the first place exactly. or I wouldn't be fu- trying to fund it in yeah. the first place but I think it's 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 useful if you apply yeah that that level of thought to it you know this might not happen rather than I have mm. bought a thing and it's going to be here in eight months time because that's not that's just not how it works when right. when people and particularly teams of people I think this applies mm. less to comics and I think there are certainly fewer yeah. stories of things going wrong in comics because it's usually one or two individuals and often with more experience and being better at estimating yes and so it's and, re- like and say, in putting it's, yourself out there we yeah. yeah, but also we work in software. We know how hard it is to actually fucking yeah. estimate software delivery. Yeah, and Kickstarter so, requires that you do this. Yeah, and I, yeah, I would I would feel genuinely jealous of saying, well, why didn't you go from point A to B, where point B is me having the thing hmm. that I paid a reasonably small amount of money for? It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem right. I when I when I back something on Kickstarter, I am taking a punt on it, and some things might be more finished than others. So what have we? I don't know. What have we? What's been good? I I, I suspect there's not going to be any axiomatic difference to a comic that we've picked up off Kickstarter than what we've picked up off the shelves. But it is fundamentally still self-publishing, albeit with the front-loaded risk, and as such, that opens itself up to certain risks. But is the editorial standard lower, higher, weirder, cheaper? More? Are there any strands? It's certainly not noticeably different to other self-published comics or indie press comics. Um, so I've bought, I've, I've backed, uh, I backed Lucy Bellwood's True Believer um, because if I hadn't done that, I don't think she would have agreed to talk to us. Um, that would have been rude. Um, and Cartesia, presumably, which was. Great, yeah. I I did back Cartosia. I Ditto. I got a digital um, backers package for that because Ditto. Ditto. this is a very minor problem. But the fact that things are so, um, the fact that things cost so much to ship yes. from the US, yeah. I could suck up a one one off cost. But because Cartosia are shipping every issue as it comes out, the mm. the cost was pretty high, and yeah. understandably so. They want to actually cover costs, yeah, yeah. pay artists, and that sort of thing. Um, but stuff. I couldn't really not back that because I've been yelling about kids' comics and they were doing the exact sort of thing. And it that, looks super um, cool. Yeah. That that I've been going on about for quite a while. So, um, back those and back to an illustrated book, which is kind of by comicsy people called the Fur Trap, which is a short illustrated story and it's not a term for vagina. Stop looking at me like that. Um, it might be. I haven't read it yet. It's not out yet. Um, but back that and that is. Um, basically a short illustrated book and three tracks from a really weird band um either on vinyl or mp3 which are these people from great. portland no they're from uh, it's an american guy who lives in london um is he a werewolf he might be he wore a little mask or it might have been his real face um but and the band of french i think they're from paris um, but they play kind of bluegrassy stuff. I don't know. Again, I haven't checked them from Lycanthropy. It is not one of the uh, things I parse when evaluating Kickstarters. I don't know. I mean, so apart from the digital Cartesia subscription, because I'm British, the other thing I backed was the Dylan McConus collection. Yeah. And if you're buying the Dylan McConus stuff, you check in for Lycanthropy. Right. She's a, a wolfy 
vampire kind of gal. Has that been? Has that shipped yet? Yeah, yeah, it shipped a little while ago. How was um, it? it was great. It was. I went for the package. Oh, sorry, Ness, you have talked about it before. Yeah, yeah. the package that included um, the new kind of fancied up edition of Bite Me, plus Dance Macabre and Out Fox, which are both yeah. uh, sort of shorter stories. Um, and I got a little like a fox patch and a print of a fox and some nice things like that as well. And yeah, I mean, I I I've loved her stuff for a long time, so that's good, and I'm happy to have supported it. I also backed the um, Choose Your Own Adventure Hamlet, which is vaguely yeah. orthogonal to comics. Although... Well, it's a lot of comics creators who are yeah involved in it. So it's... they did need my money, but I wanted it. It's dinosaur comics guy. Yeah. Um, his name Ryan is North. Ryan North has written it and then he's done some of the illustration and people like Kate, Kate Beaton, Beaton and Noel Stevenson. Yeah. Love Kate Beaton. And frankly everyone. Uh kind of a lot of a lot of great people from webcomics are involved. And they I, got a shit ton of money. Yeah. And they did and they shipped it really quickly and it looked great. Yeah. And I've I've backed other tangential things as well. So I've backed um Game of Death, which mm. is a card game by David Malky who does the webcomic Wondermark. This is the one that we're going to want to play, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's about... Um, I backed a card game based on Moby Dick. Because you're a terrible person. You should just be on down with the webcomic shit. But yeah, because because he does a webcomic, knows loads of people in that sphere, there's a... One of the backer awards was a webcomic buddies card pack, and it's a bunch of additional playing cards for the game, which is uh, loads of people like Casey Green and uh, uh, various others who I've forgotten about, but I'm very excited to receive that in December. Um, Is the Moby Dick card game going to be uh, Magic the Gathering for your 30s? No, no, no. It's it's a it's a cohesive box thing. It's not collectible. Sure. Um, so... Is it actually possible to win, or do you win... <laughs> Do you win by losing while a man wryly recounts your failure? I hope so. You bought as well. I did not. I thought you did. No, I did not. Hmm. He no. chooses not to call himself Ishmael. I, mm. I could not. I, I couldn't actually finish Moby Dick. That's the, to my Neither eternal could I. shame. It's a fucking terrible book. Fuck's sake, guys. Yeah, fuck that shit. You. Whoa, whoa, I mean, you I expect this from, but hold up. We've had this conversation before. We'll go there's outside lot, and talk about Breaking Bad and Moby Dick. But, like, Too much chowder, for one. Or not enough chowder, I'm not sure which. Well, it's kind of both, but that's not the <laughs> point. Um, God damn, I could eat some chowder. No, you couldn't. You're, you're a vegetarian. I could eat some sweet corn chowder, that shit's delicious. What do you, what did, what do, you do to bring in the, kind of the umami and the... Where's the know. ham coming from? I guess Tell us where the ham comes from. I don't from. know where the ham comes from. Soy sauce? No, you could. I'm gonna, have to go, you? I'm gonna have to go and look up vegetarian chowder now. Yeah. Oh, you could um, you could roast some cauliflower and pulverize it. Oh god, it. you could. That would be amazing. Yeah, that would be. Why good. are we back on cauliflower? Right. How basically, did I, how did I? I god, I've osmosed all this taste shit from you guys. Let's sum up. I don't even have a mouth. Let's sum up. I haven't even talked about after I think yet. Okay, right. Talk about after I think. Well, no, it's fine. It's not actually very good. It's not bad either, but <sighs> it's um, it's just not awesome. Um. This is going to be my counterpoint to the sort of Kickstarter quality thing. We've all, we've all broadly had good experiences of Kickstarter books. Um, I picked up after I think actually after the fact, so it had already been funded. I picked it up. Um, at we've retail. all bought shit at cons. And yes. um, whilst it was by no means bad, and it was tremendous fun, and the art was fine, the writing was okay. It's it's also it's obviously kind of a phoned-in Sandman pastiche. There's so much structurally in common, it's almost Sandman fanfic. And... Is that necessarily a problem with Crowdfunding, or is that just that it's it's someone's first book? 
I don't know. Um, and it is naive and implausible to assume that a conventional editorial process would have weeded that out. It would not. Um, insofar as I've been... And I haven't been burned by buying a Kickstarter book. It's it's decent. Um, but it was presented with all the hype of a Kickstarter video, and... Oh, I don't know. I, what am, I'm not even trying to say anything here. Obviously, the, the quality across formally published material is, is on variable. average dreadful. It's, it's Sturgeon's, Spurgeon's Law? Is it Spurgeon's Law? I it, hope it's 90% of everything is shit? Yeah. I think it's Spurgeon's Law. Um, I love Sturgeon, such a big fish. It's, a very you big are, fish. It, it's true that you are um, skipping out on the editorial process with pretty much anything self-published and everything you're buying on Kickstarter is going to be self-published. Mm. But then again, um, that doesn't as I was ambling round to, that doesn't make it any better or worse than mainstream published shit. I mean, and there are plenty of examples of mainstream published yeah. shit which has clearly missed an editor or had a shit yeah. editor, but well, it just well, doesn't work. Well, look at all the crap that's done in the name of Batman. Well, what, what I mean, there's the other, there's the other point. Like, what if? Oh, crap, man! If you're if you're backing Warren dude. Ellis on Kickstarter and the man has made some fantastic comics, you would essentially be buying his Avatar press output. Which is not... Which is not no, so good. No. Um, Alan Moore has done stuff on Avatar Press, which has been not so good. Editors are kind of nice, but yeah. I think it, it... Yeah, Afterlife, Afterlife Inc. is trying to be a kind of a blockbustery sort of thing, right? It's big and it's yeah, shiny. And it's, it is fun, and bits of it are great, but... Mm. But it works better for stuff that falls into that indie comics niche, yeah. where you, you sort of... You're thinking black and white. You're thinking self-published. You're thinking sort of idiosyncratic stuff as well. Well, also rather well, than further I, into the mainstream. When I look back through um, Afterlife Inc., and maybe one of the reasons I was so disappointed with it, I started rereading it the other day, um, was the forward says, "Oh, well, the original genesis of the idea was about a murder mystery set in the afterlife." Wait, that's way more interesting than this shit. It's a cruel world. It is. It is. Should we have some more wine? We should have some more wine. I mean, the As... only the only other notable thing that I've funded was the Cat Cafe in London. Oh, for when does that They've open? They've got premises. They're in Bethnal Green. They've been buying some cats in as well. Fuck. It's in Bethnal Green. You, you could actually, go to El you paid, and you paid the Cat for this Cafe shit. at the same time. I paid for this shit. I wish I'd paid the £150. That meant you get to come to the pre-tea party to help socialise the cats. Because I'd have been so up for that, but I didn't have £150. So I gave them £10 and I have a two free tickets to go and pet the cats, but I have to pay for my own tea and coffee. I've got a cat, it was free. I've got coffee downstairs as well. You don't have any cakes though, and you're not in Bethnal Green. I don't have any cakes, I am out of cake. I had cake at the weekend. Did you? Mm. This is my talking about cauliflower, this is my equivalent. Yeah, it's bullshit, isn't it? You've 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 actually destroyed heart. You've, you've hoist us by our own petard. Yes. <clears throat> he's, he's, he's horrified by the cat cafe. <sighs> Look, I've got a lot of mental problems, and I gave some of my money to cats. This is like the pre-death equivalent of leaving it all to the cat's home. I want to enjoy my cat money while I'm still alive. You can... God, who knows how long that's yeah. going to be. It's exactly the... <laughs> that's fair, it's to be honest. It's exactly the same as paying for something to be published as opposed to buying a published book. Yeah. But for being surrounded by and possibly smothered to death by cats... And uh, at least this place, this at uh, this place, there's someone to make sure they don't eat your bones. I mean, if I gotta go, when I gotta go, and let's let's pray that it's soon. I want to be smothered by puppies or kittens <laughs> or both, just like a fucking. If they'll get on. Ball pit of them. Oh, even if they tussle, it's fine. It'll smother me quicker. The tussling. I really want a pygmy goat. You can have a pygmy goat. I should get two. They get lonely. They do. 
You don't want a lonely goat. No. Or a lonely goat herd, indeed. If you're still listening... And you shouldn't be. It's worth pointing out that we're going to be at Thought Bubble this weekend. At yes. least two of us are. We're going to be at Thought Bubble. Sorry, um, I'm you too can sad You can come and Leeds. harangue us for our nonsense. We will so, also be doing a an almost unedited kind of off-the-cuff podcast on the Saturday night, I believe. We will be, yes. So if anyone, for some reason, wants to talk to us, just uh, attack us on Twitter at... Uh, at Con underscore sequential. That is our Twitter I account, so. right? It is. It? Yeah, just uh, Twitter. Do, we were, we were do Twitter have, at us. And we, we were going to have consequential T-shirts made up, but then we realised that would be kind of dickish to do at someone else's event. Yeah, it really would. Um, but we know where the good pubs are. To be honest, it's actually against all the odds that two people aren't too sad to go to Leeds this weekend. So. <laughs> I like Leeds. I hope um, you'll yeah. have a good time. Look for two tall, obviously depressed dudes. At a comics convention. That's yeah, going to stand luck. out. Take a magnifying glass. Bye. Au revoir. See you. I'm just filled with rage and eggs.